Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Poor Art. He's doing his best, and it's my fault. Uh, so, all Scripture is is God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed, and it's useful for our teaching, our correcting, our training uh, to righteousness. God uses it in our lives, and so we're excited this morning to be able to gather once again. Listen, these are the words from God that He has for us, and we make our way verse by verse through His Scriptures so that we can hear His voice, hear His heart, hear what He has for us as he directs us and he guides us into, in the way. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that was a literal event that occurred. We're in the biography section of Jesus' life. There was a day when Jesus came on the shores of the Galilee and he saw a group of men and he called out to that group of men to come and to follow him. And it's interesting and wow, that must have been something. But we have to apply it to our lives and that's what God's Word is for. Uh, Here we have words from God for our lives that speak into every area of our lives. And so we look today, today's passage, I'm calling it five questions for a would-be disciple. Five things that God would have each one of us ask of ourselves if we are followers of Jesus Christ. He continually calls us to take further steps in that relationship with him. And that's the discipleship process process that he has for us. And we started this process last week, and we're kind of in the middle now of Jesus's calling out to two sets of brothers, uh, Andrew and Simon, set number one, and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the the second set of brothers. And Jesus calls to each of these men, and he says to them, follow me. And together, individually, but together, Simon and Andrew, and then together, James and John, they leave their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their father, they leave their future, they leave all these things, and they go and they follow after the Lord. Let me read that account one more time. Uh, We just sort of quickly jumped into it, uh, and today we're going to unpack it a little better. Uh, Starting in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1, it says, Now passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Verse 19, and going on a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Simon and Andrew, James and John, and as I'll attempt to do even later, and Zebedee, all face to face with the Lord and challenged to respond in a particular way. Now, the first pair of fishermen are Simon and Andrew. Now, notice what Simon and Andrew are doing. They're busy doing what they likely did every other single day of the year with the exception of Sabbath. They got up that particular morning. They went and did what they always did. But this particular day, the Lord was going to enter into their existence and challenge them in a way that they have never been challenged before. A little bit later, he'll go, he'll walk a little further, and he'll find James and John. And there with their dad, they too are doing the work of fishermen. It says there that they're mending their nets. They're doing what they did every other day of the week, with the exception, again, of the Sabbath. 
And notice this about these men. These are just ordinary guys doing ordinary things. And I think that's so significant because that's what we all are. We're just ordinary men and women, young people, doing ordinary things on a daily basis. And Jesus can come into the midst of that and transform it forever um, from that point on. And so these ordinary guys doing ordinary things, Jesus rocks their world. And their lives will never be the same again. Now, let me say this. Their lives could have been the same, but their lives were never the same. But their lives could have been the same because they could have responded to Jesus' call and said, I'm not going anywhere with you. I don't even know you. What are the benefits of this program you're calling me to? Do you offer a 401k? You know, they, they could have asked all these questions. You know, where are we going to stay tonight? Me. When are we eating? You know, if I go with you, will there be dinner this evening? Or are we doing this fasting thing? Because I'm not into that religion, you know, or whatever. They could have asked all of these particular questions. And had they done that, tomorrow would have been exactly the same as every other day that had come before it. But because they said yes and they followed where Jesus would lead them to go, their eternities, as well as their futures here on the earth, was forever changed. And I would suggest to you that's what God would have for each one of us. They did not say, what about this, what about this, what about this? They, they just got up and they went and they followed. They acted on their belief and they stepped out in faith and they followed Jesus wherever he might take them, even though he didn't tell them specifically where he would take them. Now, I do want to remind you, this is not the first time that Jesus is encountering these four men. He knew Simon, he knew Andrew, he knew James and John, he had met them before, they had heard him teach, they had followed him previously. Last week I pointed out that the Gospel of John has a full year of ministry, it's called the Judean ministry, that is before this time which is called the Galilean ministry. So these people had known who Jesus was. Andrew even ran and found his brother and had already concluded when he said, we have found the Messiah. All right, so they already knew who Jesus was. They had already in their heads recognized who he was and believed who he was. Now Jesus was calling these men to step out in their belief. Okay, so you say I'm the Messiah. You think I'm a pretty good teacher. You think I'm kind of interesting. Now I'm gonna ask you to step out and go even further. And again, this is the difference between believing the gospel and believing in the gospel, putting all of your faith in the gospel. It's a difference, again, between that chair that you're pretty confident will hold you and actually sitting down in that chair demonstrating that you have faith that it will hold you. And it's as if Jesus is saying, putting these guys to the test, and he says, look, you believe in me? Will you follow me wherever I go and wherever I will lead you? And that question is the question that Jesus would have every one of us answer. And so I imagine most of us in this room, yes, I believe that Jesus is Christ. I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's forgiven me of my sins. The next question Jesus asks of us is this, will you follow me wherever I will lead you to go? And before most of us, absolutely. Think about that question or think about that, uh, the implications of that statement. Will you follow me wherever I will lead you to go. Now, Jesus here, I think it's significant that he calls these men first. The Paul the Apostle would eventually be called to the faith. And Paul was one of the most educated, well-trained individuals of his particular day. But Jesus here decides to begin with a group of fishermen. And a group of fishermen were not going to be the most educated people of their day. They were not the most religious people of their day. They, too, developed a reputation like a lot of sailors 
develop even in our day. You've got a mouth like a sailor, people would say. And so sailors have sort of developed a reputation. Fishermen did as well. And yet these are the people that Jesus chooses to go to first. And I would imagine, I'm, I'm quite certain, there were more theologically qualified individuals down in Jerusalem that Jesus could have went down and kind of went to the best schools and let me see the resumes of your top students. And to pick the apostles, he probably could have got a more theologically qualified group of individual. But Jesus chose these common men, common men without theological credentials, without any status of any kind as far as this world is concerned. And he said to them, follow me. And then notice what he adds there. And I will make you fishers of men. Because if Jesus just calls a bunch of regular old people to follow him, well, it's going to end the way you would expect it would end. They would fail miserably. But Jesus says, I'm going to call a bunch of regular individuals and I'll make them into what I need them to be to accomplish what I have come, what I have come to accomplish. Jesus takes these folks. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus takes common individuals that are willing to say, all right, Lord, here I am, use me, is because there's a level of humility when you know you, ha- you bring nothing to the table. When you just sort of walk in and you say, all right, God, use me. There's no pride. There's no arrogance. I've been to the top places and schools and all these kinds of things. I'm just a regular individual, but Jesus said he could work in me. And again, that's the way that Jesus decided to work. He decides to take a brand new can of Play-Doh. You're the Play-Doh and form that into what he needs that to be, whatever shape he wants that person to be so they can accomplish the purpose that he has for him. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. That word make there, in the Greek, it's a word that means to fashion or to form. And that's why, in my mind, Plato came to mind. It means to prepare or to bring about. And Jesus says, I will do that. I don't know if you've ever presented yourself for the Lord to use. You're at your place of business, and there's a person there that that person needs the Lord. Everyone certainly needs the Lord, but every now and again, somebody just sort of, your eyes sort of open, and you're like, that person just needs the Lord. And so you say to the Lord, Lord, they need you. Bring someone. So someone that can talk to them. And the Lord's like, I did bring someone. It's you. And in your mind and your heart, you're thinking, no, Lord, I'm not the person. I can't do it. Jesus says, I'll make you a fisher of men. And then there's that process of him forming you and, con- and changing you and transforming you so that you're a person that he can use. That's what Jesus desires to do for all of us. I think it's very unfortunate that something that has happened within Christianity, um, maybe all over the world, certainly the American Christianity that I'm familiar with, is we have sort of professionalized the faith. And Christianity has kind of, and the ministry in particular, has become professionalized. And by that, what I mean is we have professional ministers. And those professional ministers go to accredited universities so that they can be officially approved to do the work of the ministry. And oftentimes what begins then to happen is that most Christians believe, or at least act as if they believe, that ministry is for the professionals. And the rest of us just sort of sit back and we provide the resources for the pros to do what it is that the pros do. That's not how Jesus operated. And we emphasize it a lot here at Calvary Chapel that the, the teaching ministry, what we're doing here right now, is to equip the saints to go out and do the work of the ministry. 
that every one of us are missionaries sent forth. And it's the most effective plan on the, in the world, I think. Because rather than one person or a small little group of people trying to reach every single pocket of Mercer County, Bucks County, Burlington County, and, and surrounding area, Hunterdon County, where are you? I see you. There you are. Rather than one person trying to meet all of them, we send out of this room 200 people into each one of those little pockets because we are all equipped for the work of the ministry. It's how Jesus operated. And so it might make sense to go and get the most educated and credentialed individuals in the country and send them out to do the job. But that's not what Jesus did. He went and he found 12 ordinary individuals. And in the case of our, cl- our room here, our classroom, in the case of this room, he found 200 ordinary individuals. And with those 200 individuals, he wants to send us forth to impact the community around us. Now, two things tend to happen with God's call in our lives. Some of us, we either think too little of ourselves, and we begin to think things like this, God could never use me. I don't speak very well. I got a past. I got a background. I'm not educated. All these kinds of things. God could never use me. Some of us think that way in this room. Others of us in this room, we think, well, you know what? God sure knew what he was doing when he picked me. I'm a keeper. And, you know, God had a good plan in picking a guy or a gal like me because I could really, whatever. I think that's wrong thinking. I think the real problem in both of those instances is both of those individuals or types of individuals are thinking too highly of themselves. They're thinking too much of themselves. And as a result, little is accomplished through that individual. Both the person who says, God could never use me, so they never present themselves, and the person who thinks, I'm the only one God can use. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to, no. I'm going to move on to somebody else. And again, the problem is we're thinking too much of ourselves. And I think it would be wise, I would suggest it would be wise, to stop thinking so much about who we are and instead focus in on who Jesus is and what Jesus can make of us. Because again, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Last week, we, we sort of finished with this question um, that we posed there, and it was, will you obey God and go wherever Jesus leads you to go, believing in, believing in the gospel, believing in the gospel? So that was sort of the first question from last week. Will you go obey and go wherever Jesus leads you to go? The second question now that we're looking at is this. Will you allow Jesus to make you into what he desires to make you? Because in, in reality, it's all, totally up to you. Jesus wants to transform you into his image, but you have to allow him to do that process. And so when the Lord puts his finger on a particular area of life, if you're like, nah, no, I'm not interested in doing that, you'll never be made into the image of Christ. You have to continually respond to say yes, yes, yes to what he wants to do as he's forming that Play-Doh into what he wants it to be to accomplish his particular purposes, you need to allow him to do that. And so again, will you allow Jesus to make you into what he desires you to be? Third point that I take notice of in this call of these three men is what Jesus calls these men to. And I think this is supremely important. Jesus says this, he says to Simon and Andrew, he says, follow me. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and notice what they do. What did he call them to? Notice what they do at the very end. They followed him. Jesus calls these individuals, these people, to follow him. He doesn't call them to follow a theological system, though there is theology in the Christian faith. He doesn't call them to follow certain theories 
about certain things. He doesn't call them to follow some ethical system or some system of morality. He doesn't call them to these things, though those things will appear in our walks with the Lord. But what does he call them to? He calls them to follow him. He calls them to follow him in an intimacy of relationship. He doesn't call them to a theology or an ethical or religious system. He calls them to follow him. In the book of Revelation, it opens with a series of letters to various churches and the messengers of those particular churches. We call them the seven churches of Revelation. One of those churches found in chapter 2 is the church of Ephesus. And in that letter to the Ephesians, Jesus acknowledges, he starts off by acknowledging a whole bunch of things that this church is doing really well. He says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found and and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and I know that you have not grown weary. Does that sound good? Yeah, would you like someone to say that about you and your walk? Absolutely. That's all wonderful. But then notice the next verse. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And other versions say you've abandoned your first love or you've lost or left your first love. And there's a place for theology, and there's a place for ethics and morality, and all of those other things that the Ephesians were doing so well. But the place they had allowed themselves to get off track was in their personal, intimate relationship with Christ. As Jesus said there, they had abandoned the love they had at first. And think about your own walk with the Lord. You began following the Lord most of us, maybe if we grew up in the faith or something like that, our experience might be a little bit differently. But when we began to follow the Lord for ourselves, we were just originally followers of Christ. We followed Christ. And where Jesus went, we went. What Jesus said, we, we believed. And we did. And we participated in because our desperate desire was to be near Christ. But somewhere along the way, what tends to happen, it happened with these Ephesians, it happens in a lot of our lives as well, somewhere along the way, we've morphed become, from becoming a follower of Jesus to becoming a follower of a theological system or the, a follower of a moral set of principles. Or we began to adopt this system of thinking that would lead to our best life now or these kinds of ideas, and we drifted away from an intimacy of relationship with Christ. And instead, it became knowing all about the things of Christ. And so then, what is Jesus calling these guys to? He's calling them to follow him and to intimacy of relationship with him. And so a third question that I would pose to you is this, that we can ask ourselves. Again, these are the five questions that a would-be disciple of Jesus asks themselves. It's this, am I maintaining a relationship with Christ Am I following him? Or have I instead become a follower of theology, a moral system, or a religion? Am I maintaining a relationship with Christ? I think as a follower of Jesus, all I need to do to make sure that I I come to the end of my race with Jesus, and so let's assume I live another 40 years if the Lord is faithful. 50 will take 50 or whatever he wants to give me. But if I, what I, I am committed to coming to the end of my race in right relationship with him. That's my desire. I don't want to accomplish anything else unless I can accomplish that. B- 
being in close, intimate relationship with him when I die. And I am convinced of this. I don't have to worry about all these other things, like make sure you don't have an affair, make sure you don't do this thing, make sure you don't steal this. I don't have to worry about any of those things if I worry about the one true thing, that I'm in right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if I'm in right relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not having an affair. I'm not going to rob some bank somewhere. I'm not going to go off and do some drugs or whatever because I'm in a right relationship with Christ. Follow me, Jesus says. I think it's the most important thing that we can know from the scriptures, any part of the scriptures, let alone this passage. Now, the fourth point, notice after Jesus says, follow me, he calls them to a task. He gives them a job. He gives them a responsibility, and he calls them to follow him so that he might send them out to minister. Notice he says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus doesn't call these men and say to them, look, you guys should come follow me. We'll go up onto the mountain. We'll go over there to the mountain together. We'll hang out with one another. We'll sing songs. We'll talk about the Lord, and we'll just have a really nice time together. Now, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? And there are places, times in our lives where we should do that, where we should get away and just take some time with the Lord. But notice, he calls them so that he can equip them so that he can send them. He has a task for them. Let me repeat that. He calls them that he might equip them so that he could send them. Somebody has said, what every man needs, what every woman needs in this world is something in which they can invest their life. And I think that's truth. We all want to live for something. And I found an interesting trend. If we find, like, we want people to do what we do. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. All right, but if I find a gas station I like, I try to convince everybody else to go to that gas station because that's the right gas station or whatever, or the right mechanic or the right restaurant or the right school. And I don't know what it is. If there's, there's an aspect of it of if everybody else is doing it, then that proves I'm as smart as I think I am or, or something like that. We all want to invest our life into something. We all want to be living our lives in such a way that it's important for something. Jesus encourages us or calls us to invest our lives into something that will last forever. And each one of these men would ultimately give their lives for this call. Even John, who would live out his days, was a martyr for the faith. He just was never killed for the faith. But every one of these guys that Jesus calls here, as well as the others that he will call to serve as as his apostles, they lived their lives for something. They invested their lives into something. And so I ask this question of ourselves, myself, what am I living my life for? Truly, what am I living my life for? What are you living your life for? Is it so that you'll be rich and be able to retire and sit on the beach? Yes, that's what it is. (laughs) No, you know, what are you living your life for? What do we want? I want good kids who will take care of me when I'm older. That's a good thing, certainly so. I want to get a good job. I want to go to the highest place in society. I want everyone to remember my name when I die. I want to have wealth. I want to have fame. I want to have legacy. I want to have pleasure. What are you living your life for? What do people live their lives for? And there's a place for a lot of those things. But the the follow-up question is, will those things last into eternity? Because Jesus gives us an opportunity to pour our lives out for something that will last into eternity, for the only thing that will last into eternity. 
And so whatever it is you might be living for in this world, you have the opportunity to participate in a calling that will last forever. To know the Lord and to make him known to other people. And so the fourth question then is, what's the mission of your life? What are you living your life for? Now, many of us here were thinking maybe, look, I'm not what I desire to be in my walk with the Lord, and so I don't really think he can use me. Again, be reminded, he says, I will make you into these things. And that implies this growing to be more like Christ is a process. And so none of us in this room are exactly like Christ at this stage of the game. And none of us in this room for the rest of our lives here on the earth are going to be exactly like Christ. It's a process. And it's an ongoing process until we come to the end of our days. And it's a process that he will do. Our job is just simply present ourselves to him. Just like these four ordinary men did, his job is to equip us for the work that he has in mind for us. Final point, fifth and final point. Notice what these guys do. They hear this call, they, they put it all into the evaluation, uh, the equation, I should say, and what do they do? It says they got up and they went after Jesus immediately. And we see it in verse 18, immediately they left their nets. We see it in verse 20, as he immediately called them, immediately they got up, they, they left the boat, and they followed him. They did not put off their response to Jesus' call. There's a fifth point that I want to draw your attention to. Jesus made it as clear as possible what they should do, and they had no reason to delay in doing it. Now, in reality, they had plenty of reasons to delay in doing it because they could have reasoned that now's not a good time. Now's not a good time in my life for me to take such a radical step. They could have said to themselves, look, I'll begin to follow like Jesus is really calling me, all of us, to follow after I get married or after I get my job or after I have my children, or after we raise our children and get them out of the home, or after I'm done working like I'm working when I retire, then I'll really begin to follow Jesus as he's calling me to follow. There's plenty of reasons they could have convinced themselves to put off answering, knowing I will answer. I promise God I will answer, but I'm going to do it later. Jesus here is calling them to not delay any longer. Because as you put it off, inevitably you'll put it off further and further and further and further. These guys could have reasoned, you know, my dad won't approve. If I get up and get out of this boat, dad won't appreciate it. Simon and Andrew, I know Simon was married. He could have thought, you know, my, my wife is going to think I should go home and talk this out. Now, you probably should talk things out with your wife. Just, you know, a word of advice there. But he could have easily reasoned a whole bunch of things as to why he shouldn't have done so. I said earlier they could have reasoned this wasn't a financially prudent decision. And my point is this. They could have come up with a million different reasons not to immediately follow the Lord. But the reality is there's no good reason not to immediately follow the Lord. Because they knew who he was. They had heard what he had said. They had seen what he could do. And he promised to make them into what they needed to be to accomplish what he was calling them to do. So again, there was no good reason not to follow him then and there. There was no reason to delay. And I would encourage each of us in our walks with Christ and in my own walk with Christ, be careful with delayed obedience. Be careful with delayed obedience. Yes, Lord, I will obey later. Be careful with that. Because delayed obe obedience oftentimes leads to disobedience. 
When you have every intention of following someday, the reality is more often than not that you never get around to it. And so then the fifth point here, if you want to form it in the form of a question, is will you obey quickly? Jesus calls these disciples to do that. And so we learn five things. Number one of these men. Number one, obeying and going where Jesus leads. Two, allowing Jesus to make you into what he desires to make you. Three, following him, not a system, not a religion, not a theology, all that stuff. Four, investing your life into those things that are eternal. And then finally, obeying quickly. And I couldn't help as I was thinking about this, how many other fishermen were on that sea and were on those shores at that time period that were not called or they did not respond to Jesus' call? The historian Josephus tells us that at any one time during the height of fishing season, there were more than 300 vessels, fishing vessels, that were out on the Sea of Galilee. It's a very large body of water. And there was more than 300 fishing vessels that were out there. And if we assume that each one of those vessels had two, maybe three people in those boats, there's somewhere around 750 people that are out there just like Andrew and Simon, James and John. I wonder how many of those people Jesus called out to as well. And how many of those other names do you know? You don't know any other names. You know Andrew, you know Simon, you know James, you know John. And Andrew, Simon, James, and John, they could have simply gone on doing what they had done every other day. They could have lived comfortably or perhaps even pretty well. Zebedee had his own boats, and he had servants that worked for him, not just his boys that he made work for him. He was doing pretty well in life. These guys could have pretty much known with certainty what tomorrow would be like and the next day would be like and the rest of their days would be like. And they could have lived a life pretty much like everyone else in their community without any of the hassles that would come their way by following Jesus where, they would ha- where he would have them to go. And they could have come to the end of their days never having made the impact with their life that God would have each one of them to make. Now I'm not saying that each of us has to leave our jobs and go off into full-time missions or join the pastorate or start working at a church or a ministry full-time. I'm not suggesting that. Actually, I don't think that's God's plan. I think God would have most of us go to the local businesses and work in those local businesses or be at home and raise our kids and in our community and so on and so forth. What I am saying is this. When Jesus calls us to go, we need to go. And whether that is smaller things, like Jesus says, go to your spouse and apologize for that thing you did. If Jesus is calling you to do it, you need to do it, and you need to do it quickly. If Jesus calls you to speak up when the opportunity has presented itself for you to speak up, you need to obey quickly. A disciple obeys quickly. If Jesus calls you to step out in faith and support a work in a sacrificial way, you need to obey and to do that quickly. And if in the instance of these guys, Jesus calls you to forsake everything, go into full-time ministry, either here in the States or somewhere abroad, then you need to obey that call. Every one of us, Jesus is calling us, and he will keep calling us until the day we die. And we may do great today. He's going to call us tomorrow to step out in faith again. That's what it means to be a disciple, and that's where growth occurs. One last point from this story. Look at Zebedee, the father, 
Now, I don't know if this applies to me because I'm getting older and my kids are starting to get to the age where they're going to go and do their own things in life and stuff like that. And so maybe it's poignant for me and it may not be for you. If it's not, tuck it away. Maybe someday in the future it will be. But the last thing I take notice of in this passage is Zebedee's response. Now, again, Zebedee is the father of James and John. Now, Jesus doesn't call Zebedee to come follow him. He calls James and John. And knowing everything we know about Jewish culture and Jewish practice, James and John almost certainly left the way they did because Zebedee gave them permission to leave. He gave them the okay, whether that was with a head nod, you know, like one of these, like, "Mm mm-hmm, go do it, or one of these, go do it, or whatever it may be. In one way or another, he communicated to them almost certainly, just what we know from Jewish culture, is that it, it was okay with him that they go follow this guy. And I'll suggest to you, that was Zebedee's call to step out in faith upon his belief. Where Zebedee opened the door so his kids could follow the Lord. It's hard to do, isn't it? Because we have all these plans of what we want our kids to do and how we want them to do it. Zebedee learned to let his kids go that they might seek to follow the Lord uh, and his will for their lives. And that, in so many ways, some of us in this room know it, is as challenging as going yourselves. It's a whole lot. I've been to places in the world that I would, I don't know, I went to that place. I shouldn't go back to that place, I'll tell you what. We went to this one place. Somebody had stolen, like, a case of grenades from the army. And they're on the loose in the streets. And we were going to go on those streets, you know, where in Belize. We were going to go on those streets and tell people about the Lord, knowing that, that one of those gangbangers had a grenade in his pocket or whatever. And I'm thinking, maybe we should cancel the trip, you know, or whatever. And I went there. It's a whole lot easier for me to go than to know my kids are there, right? I, I went to Nepal a little while back, and like three days before we went, there was something that came up. It was on Facebook, so it's probably true. Uh, that, that some Christian dude got crucified in Nepal by this little uh, Hindu community. And they're like violent Hindus. I always thought Hindus were like nice. They, they're violent in Nepal or, or whatever. And that's exactly where I was going in three days, not to that village, but to go to a Hindu village and tell people about the Lord for the first time. And that's easy for me to go, in a sense, but to know that your kids are going to do that, that's pretty freaky. And that was Zebedee's call to let his kids go. You see what I'm saying? And so you can make the application to whatever that might look like in your particular life. But God calls all of us to respond in faith and to live out our faith. And so whether it's Simon and Andrew, James and John going, or Zebedee staying behind, it's the call of the Lord. And it's a step of faith and a step of obedience. And it's what Jesus calls each one of us to do. I'd encourage you, take inventory of your walk this week and as you go about you know you start your day and you begin with some time of prayer even if it's while you're doing the dishes and you're just praying during that particular time turn off the radio turn off other things and just commune with the lord and ask him lord am i being stretched do you need to stretch me even further have i been sort of slack in my obedience to you And he asked these five questions that I shared with you. Maybe we'll email them out so you have them if you didn't write them down. Amen? Well, that's where we're going to stop. So we did two verses. 
uh, together. But praise the Lord. I hope it was helpful for you. Let us pray together. We'll bring the worship team back up. Father, we thank you for this picture. I thank you for the example of Simon and, uh, and Peter, for James and John. Lord, even this time in my life, the example of Zebedee. Lord, in this instance, these men who responded in faith, Lord, as an encouragement to, uh, to each one of us in this room about our own faith. And that we would be people that are stepping out in that faith, walking in obedience, not putting it off to some time in the future. And so, Lord, continue to work through us. Use us in the lives of those we come in contact with. Pour out your spirit through your people and make us effective fishers of men, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the church, please visit ccmercer.com or come worship with us in Ewing, New Jersey on Sundays at 10 a.m.